Hello, everyone. Welcome back to The Casual Martial Artist with Al and Marcus. So, how are you doing today, Marcus? Pretty good. How are you doing, man? Uh, not too bad. And, you know, today we're going to... This episode is actually aimed a little bit more towards people out there who maybe haven't practiced any martial arts yet, but maybe you're interested. And, you know, of course, uh, New Year's Eve is just around the corner. And, um, well, actually not quite just around the corner. We still got, what, about uh, six weeks? Something like that. Yeah. So, and of course, usually one of the, I don't know about you, but of course, getting in better shape has always been one of my New Year's resolutions for, um, New Year, getting in better shape has always been one of my New Year's resolutions. And over the years, I've had varying degrees of success with it. So, um, me too. Me too. And of course, just from my personal experience, if you are looking to get into better shape, um, usually I've always found martial arts to be a really good way to do that. So, Today, we're going to be discussing a couple of topics that are related. First, how to choose a style or what things you might want to consider when you're choosing a style of a martial arts to study, and also what factors to consider when you're trying to choose a school. Now, of course, we know what one of the biggest limitations is going to be whenever you're looking for a martial arts school, and that, of course, is going to be what's available in your area. Um so fortunately, the internet does make it a bit easier. Uh, one website, I don't, I don't know if you checked it out before we started here, dojos.info. Mm-hmm. Um, so that one was actually interesting. That's actually where I found uh, the place that I'm, I I study at now. Um, so one of the things we did before we, uh, you know, while we were putting together our thoughts for this topic is we looked up, okay, martial arts schools. So as I said, this is going to be your, your first limitation, of course, because, you know, you might really want to study, uh, I don't know, uh, Kung Fu, but if there's no one in your area teaching Kung Fu, well, you don't really have that option. Um, you know, and of course, or you never know, there might be some guy down the street teaching Kung Fu out of his basement. It's just he doesn't really advertise. So when you were doing your search to see how many martial arts schools were you're in the area, about how many did you find? Three official ones and um, three unofficial places to train. So um, not sure about the quality of instruction you would get at the training places, but um, the three that I did find are more traditionally based. Yeah, and as for me, I am actually surprised. I found a total of 16 schools in my area uh, just doing like internet searches for like martial arts, Appleton, Wisconsin, and then also using that dojos.info. Uh, so as, as far as how it broke down, eight of them were either Taekwondo or some sort of karate. Uh, there were two BJJ places. There were three places that either did like mixed martial arts, they listed it as mixed martial arts, or mm-hmm. they offered multiple, you know, multiple, uh, you know, styles where maybe they've got someone there that teaches judo and someone that teaches uh, stick fighting and, and whatnot. And then there's right. three other. Um, so there was, uh, in addition to the place that I studied Kung Nu at, um, they also, there's a group in there after us that does HEMA, Historical European Martial Arts. Mm. So if you're ever interested in learning how to use a broadsword or a rapier, you know where to go now. Right. Um, and then there is also a place... Uh, up here that also teaches okay i'm not sure if i'm pronouncing this correctly but wa rang do Mm -hmm. um so 
Okay, I think I don't know if he uh if it was Warang Do or Hapkido, but did you ever see the Kentucky Fried movie? No, I did not. Yeah, the guy who played it it's like a it's a weird movie. It's like a it's mm-hmm. different segments and there's one there called A Fistful of Yen, which is supposed to be kind of a parody of uh Enter the Dragon. And right. I think the main um the main the guy who plays the main villain on that, Bong Su Han uh, I'm wanting to say Hapkido or Hapkido. Bong Su Han was the granddaddy okay. of Hapkido when he was alive. He's no longer with us. Yeah, he. that's one of the ones I remember in there. So, mm-hmm. like I said, it's a funny movie. A Fistful of Yen is the best part of that movie. But like I said, it's a very adult-oriented movie. So right. don't want to watch it with uh, small children around. Okay. <laughs> but anyways, so, so as you can see... Uh, the internet does make it, you know, quite easy because, like I said, it just shows that there's places that you might not even know existed. Uh, right. Like I said, I I know there's a couple places that in my city that um, I am familiar with. Uh, on College Avenue here, we've got our Main Street. You know, we've got um, Fox Valley Grappling Club, and that's mm-hmm. one of the ones that I classified as multiple because they do MMA, kickboxing. Uh, BJJ and I think right. judo there as well. Right. So once you found what you know, you've, you 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 kind of know what schools are available in your area. So you might want to consider, okay, well first, what style do you want to study? Um, and again, if the only play option open to you is the you know the the Taekwondo studio downtown, then okay, that's kind of a you know limits your options, of course, but. We fi- we figured that there's usually three main reasons why people get into martial arts: fitness, self-defense, and competitive fighting. For me, when I first started, it was primarily for fitness and self-defense, so a little mm-hmm. bit more for fitness. Uh, what about you? When you were, I think we covered this, but we might as well review it. <laughs> yeah, that's why I started for well, self-defense, but also for because I'd never been an athletic child. I did mostly uh, watch, you know, we had just gotten cable TV, so I stayed in and watched Fraggle Rock most of the time or something like that. <laughs> can't remember what it was. But, uh, yeah, it was to get, you know, to do something and also because I was a big martial arts fan and to protect myself because I was a scrawny kid, believe it or not. Yeah, and, and back when I was in high school, I was, uh, you know, very overweight. So when I got into college that, you know, the fitness aspect was a bit more interested in. Well, I guess Mm -hmm. we could also add a fourth thing there, curiosity. Because when I was in high school, about the extent of my martial arts experience practicing it was limited to Street Fighter 2 or Mortal Kombat. (laughs) And, you know, for all the years I've studied martial arts, I've yet to be able to throw a Hadouken. (laughs) <laughs> or rip someone's head off with my bare hands, but we're not going right. to go there right now. Right. Maybe a future episode. So, right. um, so yeah, for me, it was primarily fitness. Uh, that was my main one. So let's discuss when we do talk about fitness, what would you look for in a style if you are going more for fitness? To me, um, would be the equipment that they use to train with. Um, coming from <clears throat> someone who has got experience in the boxing tradition or even in university, what little Muay Thai we practiced, um, I'd like to see a place that at least trains with focus mitts or Muay Thai pads. Hopefully heavy bag, too, but, or, and also the double-end bag, but okay. uh, at least the pads and the focus mitts. Yep, so that that's definitely good. And, I mean, I that's one of the things where I think if you are studying, if there's a place in your area that does lead, you know, like the MMA, 
mm-hmm. uh, gyms. Like I said, I mentioned Fox Valley Grappling Club, and I don't have any experience there. I've never trained there. Right. Um, so like I said, this don't consider this as like an endorsement of the place, mm-hmm. you know. But I said I'm not saying negative anything negative about it. Right. Um, but like I said, because I don't have any hands-on experience there, but I know whenever I drive down, I I know they've got the the, the heavy bags and you know they do the the focus mitts and stuff, so that's good. I'd have to say another thing that I would look for if I'm thinking of a style just for terms of fitness is I personally think hard styles are a little better for just if you're going from a pure fitness aspect. Mm-hmm. And when I first started with Tang Sudo, you know, it was great for that because, you know, we did a lot of high energy, you know, high energy workouts. Right. Didn't we you know we did some sparring, but we also did a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of kicking and, and forms. Right. And you know, that's also what I like about Kung Nu as well. Uh, the, with my current, the current instructors, you know, yeah, we do the, you know, the sparring and the drills and stuff, but, uh, we, one of the, uh, the assistant instructors there is really into like the Pilates and, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that. So yeah, we've, uh, <laughs> uh, we've done some, uh, very interesting, uh, workouts with that. So that's one of the things I do like there going about it just from a fitness angle. Right. Now, what about self-defense? So what would you look for in a martial, in a style, if you are looking at it just from a self-defense angle? First thing for me, at least, would be, for lack of a better word, less woo-woo. You know, I personally don't, you know, being a religious studies major, don't mind <laughs> woo-woo, but if it's self-defense as such that I'm looking for, um, you know, less of the mystical stuff and more of the practical stuff. Um, okay. Also... Something that doesn't teach you something like one and three steps sparring, which I don't find very helpful, and something that isn't too intricate. Like if you got, if you have to do more than three moves in your basic techniques, I don't think it's. Uh, I think you might as well go somewhere else. Yeah, and that's where again I think um, it, when we are looking for self-defense, you know, you because mm-hmm. you mentioned the one steps and. That's one of the things I remember from Tang Sudo. We had the one-step spars, which, again, our instructor said it wasn't really intended to be, okay, if, uh, like, one of them I remember was, okay, a low block followed by, you know, a, a getting into a forward stance to punch. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you're probably not, that's not a fight ender. You know, if someone throws, right. like, a punch to your stomach or something or kicks, yeah, you can low block and you can certainly counter with a punch, but... I mean, I know now looking back, it was more, and I think our instructor said this at that time, that it was more based on getting used to, like, judging your distance mm-hmm. um, than anything else. Now, an, another thing that I think is good for styles that, you know, if you are looking for a style that is going to be heavy in self-defense, mm-hmm. I mean, I know you mentioned, like, a lot of intricate techniques. and. Right. I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing when you are talking about just strictly self-defense. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's one of the things I liked about the system of Kung Fu I studied, you know, right at the first you know level. Not right. only are we learning, you know, your punches and kicks and blocks and stuff like that, but we were also doing joint locks and things like that right off the get-go. Right. But I think a lot of it really is in the way it's taught where, I mean, when you, when, uh, when you were first starting martial arts, how do your instructors usually approach the um how did they usually approach self defense and in uh class 
if we were taught any at all, it was only um, once every month or something like that. And even then, it was a really small, small section of the class that we were taught it in. And then we were expected to do this. I remember sparring once between me and two other people. You know, it was the two-on-one trying to teach us, you know, how to defend ourselves against multiple opponents. Well, first, I wasn't given any instruction. I was, you know, just <laughs> said, they just said go. And then them yelling at me, telling me I was doing the wrong thing. I'm like, well, I don't, you didn't tell me what to do. So, you know, it was really rudimentary because the, the chain I, I went to was more focused on competition Taekwondo. Okay. So, yeah, and that's in the style of Kung Fu I studied. And I know they start to do this in uh, some higher levels in Kung Nu. They mm-hmm. do talk about the, well, in Kung Fu, they just called it mass attacks. Mm-hmm. And in Kung Nu, I think they call it like multi-dimensional self-defense, where, again, you have to prepare to be attacked from different angles. And I know right. one of the things they always stressed in Kung Fu is like, okay, if you're fighting more than one person, you're at a disadvantage. So, you know, usually your best option is to try to fight your way out to a point where you can run. But I right. don't know. I'm sure there's people out there that are so badass. They could take on five people and not yeah. make a sweat. Right. I'm just not one of them. Me neither. Yeah. <laughs> so so the next thing people might consider when they are uh, deciding what style, and you talked about competitive fighting, and this is something where you're probably going to have a little bit more experience than I do uh, because in when I was doing Tank Sudo, we really didn't talk about – You know, we did sparring drills, of course, and we did some sparring in class, but we didn't really participate much in competitions. Mm -hmm. And same thing again with Kung Fu and the the karate, uh, American freestyle karate place I studied at. We didn't do anything like that. And again, Kung knew we don't do any competitions in that. So, I mean, what would you look for in a style where it is going to go into uh, the competitive fighting? Probably something that's more um, known for that, like your Taekwondo or your Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu or Judo or um, I don't know the, the karate straight up karate classes based in Japanese martial arts don't seem to have a lot of tournaments in this area of the country. You know, not like you'd find in say Chicago or California even. So Taekwondo usually. I mean, with me in my school, it was basically the chain. Sometimes we do inter-school competitions but a lot of the tournaments were within the chain themselves you know because there was like seven or eight different uh schools in that one chain so we were sometimes competing against people who were in our own you know under the same banner but going to a different location okay so So, hmm? did you do a lot of competitive fighting back then or not really um i only went to two tournaments because you had to pay to get into them and Mm -hmm. you know Taekwondo, they like to nickel and dime you and things like that. You know, that's how they make a lot of their money. So, um, yeah, and uh, we'll paid for two. Yeah, and I know, yeah, Taekwondo. If you are interested in tournament sparring, I'm certainly, I would certainly recommend that as well. Because, uh, mm-hmm. as I said, I do know that there are. That's a component of a lot of those karate, you know, commercial karate schools. You right. know, sometimes you'll go in and you'll see just like a wall of trophies. Now, whether right. that's a good thing or a bad thing, that's a topic for another day. But it is something that. Um, you know, you can certainly keep in mind if you are interested in that. Now, right. if you are if you are thinking of doing like a, you know, long term, like you are thinking of going UFC someday, uh, what kind of place would you recommend for that? 
that would probably be either a MMA gym proper or maybe a Brazilian jiu-jitsu school who also has, you know, cross trains and MMA styles. Because some of them themselves even, they only concentrate on tournament Brazilian jiu-jitsu, which is a different, way different animal than MMA. So if that's not the school you'd want to go to if that's what they're concentrating on. Because, you know, in the early days, 20 years ago, a lot of people would get jiu-jitsu and MMA mixed up. They say, okay, well, I know how to do MMA if I'm going to Brazilian jiu-jitsu school. Not necessarily because some of them concentrate on the tournament. You know, there's tournaments with gi, tournaments without gi or the uniform. So those schools aren't not the skills won't necessarily transfer over. Yeah, and then would the would your uh, tournament BJJ do they focus just on the grappling or do they do any like striking or is it all just like the groundwork and wrestling? It's all the groundwork and wrestling. Okay, so yeah, because uh, I don't I guess that's now does BJJ train in a lot of striking or is it again just all because I thought I heard somewhere a while ago that BJJ was all just grappling. Um, I mean, of course, if you wanted to do striking, usually you'd pair that with like, you know, karate or kickboxing. But right. at its core, you know, Brazilian jiu-jitsu is primarily just all ground fighting and stuff. Exactly. You know, you might go to a school where the, per- the instructor has experience in a striking art and he'll integrate some of that into the curriculum somehow. But basically a grappling art proper. Yeah, and another thing I'd consider, and a good point when we do talk about, you know, striking and, and uh, grappling, I think if you are interested in primarily choosing a style for self-defense purposes, that's where I think it's helpful if you do find a style that does train in both groundwork and stand-up as well. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I know, of course, when you are in a self-defense situation, um, you know, there we, there's probably people that think that, at least one of the arguments I heard is that people say in those cases, striking is usually better uh, because, you know, if you're being attacked by three guys and you go down and get someone in a chokehold, well, you're putting yourself at a big disadvantage. Mm-hmm. So, but I know I've, oh, go ahead. No, there again, um, you can go to a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu school and they're mostly concentrated on the grappling end, but you won't get a lot of self-defense instruction proper. You, you know, you'll be, scratching your head wondering, well, how am I going to do this, you know, when someone's, you know, coming at me with, you know, full force? Mm-hmm. And yes, in the early days of the UFC, maybe you could get away with a couple of those moves, but when you've got MMA all over TV and, you know, some thuggish guys watching it, and maybe they can pull off a couple of those moves, you know, you're going to have to, you know, you're putting yourself at a disadvantage if that's all you know. I kind of think that those arguments are really passe about stand-up, about or ground, or even style versus style, because, you know, if you're not doing an integrated approach, you're putting yourself at a disadvantage. Those arguments are like 30 years old, in my opinion. Yeah, and that's true, and I think we talked a little bit about this our first episode, Uh, at least, again, my my personal philosophy on martial arts. I think it is good to know how to do both. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, because, let's face it, that real-world fight that your instructor always tells you about, you don't know what's going to happen. I mean, I think... One of the reasons I think uh, one of the reasons I think grappling, or at least knowing how to avoid getting grappled, is important is for the reason you mentioned. How uh, well I think all of us learn a little bit about wrestling just from roughhousing as kids. Right. But you know, you get people who, yeah, they do watch UFC or they've watched you know WWF or pro wrestling, and you know they see them do the stuff like charge and tackle on you know someone to the ground. 
right. that might be there, uh, you know, for someone who's not really trained, that might be what, what they think is the best option just because that's what they see. And, but, you know, they, they, that guy on WWF, he went in for that single leg takedown, so that must work. And Right, right. But, yeah, I said, I, I know, I agree. It's still very, very, very good to be, you know, to be, uh, to train in both both right. aspects. And then you can take it, you know, if you want to concentrate on grappling, or at least you know how to handle yourself standing up, or you concentrate on stand up, at least you know how you're hand, how to handle yourself on the ground. Yeah. So another aspect of a, a style that would that some people might shy away from, some people it's like okay they don't really care, and for some people it might be a very an integral part, the philosophical and moral development side of it. So this is one of those things where I'm not sure if it's necess- if it's 100% necessary in a martial art um, because, I mean, there's other places you can get, you know, your philosophy or your, you know, your moral teachings from. I mean, I know most martial arts that, you know, at least that I've studied did have at least some component where it's like they're not, you know, of course, they're not encouraging you to go out and just beat up people randomly. Right. Like, I remember Tang Sudo had a code, uh, a code of conduct. Kung Nu does get a bit into that, you know, into the philosophy as well. Place I went at for American Freestyle Karate had some, you know, little oath or something. Right. And uh, like I said, Eskrima, we, in Eskrima and Kung Fu, we really didn't have any sort of like moral or philosophical side to those arts. Right. That's something, in a weird way, I'm getting more interested in, not the moral end, but the philosophical end, because um, I'm trying to get more into internal martial arts and studying a little bit about Taoism as a result. Okay. But that leads into some, it's interesting that you bring that up, because it leads into something that I neglected to mention when choosing a school, because it also leads into the ethos of the school, you know, what's the attitude of the rest of the students like because i've been in some schools where you know it was all cool and relaxed some where they were, they would just get down to business and some had really snarly negative attitudes and i you know i didn't stick around for that so yeah and i mean i figure i brought it up because you know a lot of people when they think of martial arts if they're not thinking of like the ufc or you know an mma they probably think of shaolin monks so, mm, right. I, I mean, I think that there's always been somewhat of a philosophical and moral development part of martial arts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, because, like I said, they were, at least in Kung Fu, I, you know, came from those, you know, those temples. And then, of course, it's going to depend on the different martial art, uh, like some of the Indian martial arts you know, from like India. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them are actually tied a little bit into Hinduism. Mm-hmm. For their, you know, their philosophical components, right. I cannot remember the name of it for the life of me. But I was when I was doing some uh, for my other podcast, Geekery in general, I was doing an episode on historical gaming in India, and I talked a little bit about Indian martial arts and that. And there was this one style of it was primarily grappling, but there were four different schools of it, and each one was based off of. I didn't mention this in the actual thing, but. I remember each one of them was named after a particular deity or figure from Hindu uh, mythology and folklore. Okay. Um, you know, so that I thought was interesting. And there's another p- prominent uh, Indian martial art that its nickname is the mother of all martial arts because it's believed that it inspired Kung Fu and karate. 
mm-hmm. uh, as well as jujitsu and uh, other arts as well. Right. But in this one, um, again, when they were the video I was showing, the schools did have that religious thing where they or religious or philosophical aspect where they usually had a shrine in the school right. that was dedicated to one of the Hindu deities. Right. So, okay. I mean, again, I don't think it's 100% necessary for a style, but it doesn't hurt to have because, and I know this is a topic I'd like to cover on a later date is, you know, is philosophy important in a martial art? And I'm right. sure since, you know, both of us with our degrees in religious studies have some, uh, you know, would have some interesting insights on that. <laughs> right, right. But when you talk uh, pers- about... What's, what is, personally, what is your opinion, real, real quick, if, if you want to save some for another show? Well, I think it is definitely important to have uh, at least a code or some sort of philosophy that makes you really consider and think about your actions. Because mm-hmm. I know we said we do that in in, uh, in Kung Nu, and then another one in Tung, Tang Soo Do uh, as part of the code. Like one of the parts of the code of Tung, Tang Soo Do, did I say Tang Soo Do before? Tang Soo Do, mm-hmm. that's what I meant. Like one of it was no retreat in battle, and then there was another one in fighting shoes with sense and honor. And if I took away anything from my Tang Sudo instructor, he always thought that it would be better if it said in life choose with sense and honor. Right. You know, again, trying to encourage you, not just if you have to fight someone, but just in your general day-to-day life, think about, okay, is this an honorable action to take, and is it a sensible action to take, or you know, use your common sense when before you act. Right. That so sounds what, good. So what about you? Do you have any sort of like philosophical uh, um, belief with belief mm-hmm. with martial arts? Because I know you mentioned uh, Taoism. Well, yeah, as far as, um, well, as far as getting in an instructor, um, like the style that I studied previously, I wouldn't have, a code is okay, but getting philosophical, I might not have trusted what they would have had to say. You know, because the instructors weren't very philosophical people, but getting to where I'm more interested in something like Tai Chi or something like that, which is directly tied into Taoism. So, you know, that I would appreciate have been in, having an instructor direct me if that was what my interest was. I wouldn't have appreciated having it shoved down my throat. Yeah. So if ever I were to teach someone, you know, I wouldn't shove it down their throat. But if they come and ask me, I'll say, OK, look here, read this or study this person, what they had to say. Yeah, and I, I mean, I don't know much, too much about Taoism. I remember, because mm-hmm. I think we did have a class together uh, with Dr. Bean about mysticism and religious traditions. Right. Do you remember the book, The Essential Mystics, by, I think it was Andrew Harvey? Mm-hmm. Yeah, still got my copy, but unfortunately, one of my dogs chewed up the cover. Wow. But I remember in that section on Taoism, they were talking about there was this uh, the story about how the drunk man can fall off of a you know a cart even though it's going fast and not not get injured because he's right. keep he keeps himself whole with wine and it was like i think the moral, moral of it i apologize it's been a while since i've read it but it was like you know and how more whole can you keep yourself if you know with the power of heaven right. and i i know remember another one of the stories i liked from there there was one about the there was a prince that was watching a butcher cut up an ox mm-hmm. and you know, he was just amazed at how easily this butcher could slice up this carcass. And he was saying, it's like, well, when he first started, he'd have to replace his knife every year because he hacks, he just hacked at it. But as he started to think about Taoism, 
at least the way I always saw it, it was not doing things the way you think they should be done. It's doing them the way they need to be done. Right. And he was mentioning that, you know, he now sees, he, he instead of seeing the big picture, he sees those little details. And as he was saying, he hadn't had to sharpen his knife in 10 years because he's cutting it the way it, it should be cut, not the way right. he wants it to be cut. Right. So Going with the flow and all that. Yep. So here's something, uh, now this is something I know I've had to deal with when choosing a style, because um, see, back uh, last year I decided to get back into studying martial arts again, not just practicing the stuff and reviewing the stuff I already knew, but uh, again, as I said before, there's a lot of different schools in my area. And one of the things that influenced where I chose, and this is the next thing I have on the list, is your age and experience level. And I thought this was something to bring up because, again, you and I, both of us have, you know, a, a fair amount of martial arts experience behind us. Right. So what we would look for in a style is going to be a lot different than someone who's just starting out. And I know one of the, well, one of the reasons that I decided with Kung Nu is because as I read a little bit about the style, I just personally thought it would mesh better with the training that I already had in Kung Fu, you know, because I liked Again, I like the 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 philosophy in that style where it's important to do both, you know, hard style practices and soft style practices as well. Mm -hmm. So, were you asking personally what I would look for if I were to train again? Yeah, if or you were to, what I think if, other people should do. Well, um, I right now it would be more about you know you or what you think like a a more experienced martial artist or someone who, like I said, maybe they practiced martial arts for a while. They got out of it for a few years because of whatever reason, and then now they're starting to get back into it. To me, it would, again, going along with the ethos of a place, um, the environment plays a lot bigger role to me than it would have probably 20 years ago. I can't train with people who, A, don't take it seriously, or B, you know, go in there to try to hurt people, you know, because then I'll try to hurt you back and, you know, it'll just be a big mess, and then neither of us can train because we're both nursing injuries you know yeah <laughs> so that and you know since i know a lot of this, i don't want to i'm not bragging or anything but since i know what works and i know what's not you know what's like myth like say one in three step sparring I hate to keep harping on that but that's just one thing that really rubbed me the wrong way when i took taekwondo um i choose a school that was a little bit more practical and that had equipment training because I mean even when you're looking at something like Muay Thai they don't do a lot of in Thailand at least they don't do a lot of sparring believe it or not hmm. because you know a lot of those cats are fighting once a week or once every two weeks professionally so you know it, it doesn't do to get themselves injured sparring you know they're going to do most of their pad work or run five miles a day or whatever so they're going to have be conditioned to fight you don't have to spar anymore and at this at this age and how rickety my body has become, I don't want to do a lot of sparring anyway. Yeah. So just some good equipment, um, a place with these people and you're not, like I said, woo woo has its place, but I, you know, I even like woo, woo, but I don't like it shoved down my throat or to bleed into every part of the training. And that's another thing I was, uh, you know, good point to transition to the next point. Okay. Another thing to consider a style is, you know, your current physical health. Mm -hmm. Which, um, you know, again, in my case, you know, being overweight and out of shape, I, I mean, I do like the workouts we get in Kung Nu, but like some of the stuff in like an MMA gym, 
don't mm-hmm. think I could handle that anymore. And, mm-hmm. and and like I said, I'm not planning on getting into competitive fighting. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, for me, I don't really need to be, you know, as you said, sparring, you know, hardcore, intense sparring every single session. Right. Eliza, because, you know, we do a bit of sparring in, in Kung Nu, but we don't, you know, we don't do the, uh, you know, the full, we don't do the full contact. You know, we wear right. the pads and stuff. But we're not doing it to that. We're, we don't do it at the same intensity that I assume they would do at an MMA gym. Right. So as far as like in a specific style. So since we've talked about some things to consider when looking at the style itself, to boil it down, if you are primarily interested in just fitness, I would probably recommend something like karate or jujitsu because I'm sure I'm sure that that rolling and wrestling probably pretty good workout. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So if you're primarily interested in self-defense aspect, I would certainly recommend jujitsu, kung fu, or any style where they do focus on both striking, grappling, and joint locking. And competitive fighting, I think an MMA gym would be good if that's what you'd like. Uh, Taekwondo would be pretty good for that. And I know, are there BJJ competitions very much or? All over the place, yeah. Okay. It's a big deal. So yeah, that'd be another good option for people. So for you, uh, what would you what would you recommend to someone as far as a specific style if they wanted if they were interested in fitness, self defense, and competitive fighting? Mm, specific style um, for competitive fighting, it would be how much contact they want. I mean, you're not going to get beat up a lot in Taekwondo, so that probably if they're, lo- they're looking for you know contact but minimal contact, they don't mind getting tossed about judo or jujitsu. Or um, they don't mind getting hit in the face, boxing or kickboxing somehow. Or if they're really rough and, you know, have the athletic ability and the desire, MMA. It all depends on, you know, their uh, how much contact you want, you know, because MMA, yeah, we'll get into this later when we have that MMA show. But, you know, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of things that come with it in that business. So you have to deal with those things also. Okay. So let's move to the next part of the conversation here. So let's say that you've done your homework. You found what, you know, martial arts schools are in your area. Um, So, you know, you've got a chance to see what styles are being taught, but now it's time to choose what school you want to go to. So I think when, I think when you're considering the school, that's just as important as the style that uh, you decide that you want to study. So one of the things that, I would certainly recommend is, does the school offer a free trial? Oh, yes. And also before we go on, I don't think we, I know we mentioned this when we were talking before we started recording, but if another good place to look, if you are interested, but you're not finding any, any schools that necessarily catch your eye, like Marcus and I both live in college towns. So you might want to check your college to see if they do offer a martial arts club there. Now, I'm not sure if they're going to let non-students participate, but it's always something that's worth a try. And also if you have a local YMCA, because usually YMCAs will offer at least a program in Taekwondo. And I've seen others that sometimes will have like Judo or Aikido. And for pretty affordable prices too. Yeah, and, and another thing is uh, usually it's the... At least when I was teaching Kung Fu at my at one of our the YMCA's in our area, uh, the way it worked there is there was the you know the course there there were two different prices one if you had a membership 
and the other if you didn't have a membership. Right. So, you know, while if you got the membership, okay, yeah, you might be spending a little bit more in the long run, but then again, you also get used to other facilities like, you know, the weight room and if they have a swimming pool, you know, or a, an aerobic center. Right. But back to factors for considering the school. Now, I know a lot of commercial schools do offer a free trial. And if you are interested in checking out a school, and if they do offer that trial, I would certainly recommend taking it. I mean, usually it's about, usually it's like the first two weeks, which is usually going to be about four lessons. But right. um, I think they're helpful because it gives you a chance to see what the instructor's like and to see what the classes are like. Right. Now, the of the places that I studied, though, uh, only two of them did that like trial basis. Uh, the uh, Kung Nu, where I studied Kung Nu, uh, you know, they let you do a you know a free a little trial. And then when I was starting American Freestyle Karate, they also did the free trial there. Now mm -hmm. it was kind of different with um, the Tang Sudo with the Karate Club because that was a campus club, and you just kind of paid for the the entire year up front. Right. I don't remember if my Kung Fu instructor did a free trial or not. But have you have you ever been at a school where they did offer that trial? Um, yeah, my Taekwondo school did. But one thing you got to realize is that some instructors, mine in particular, they're on pretty good behavior when that trial's on. You know, and if they're, you know, personalities don't mesh, you're not going to find that out until at least six months. And by that time, you're past the trial period. So, yeah, it's one of the things that led to my terminating my membership at that club. Yeah, and... Another thing to look at also, or another thing to consider, does the school, well, the costs, I mean, obviously mm -hmm. you want to find something in your budget, but uh, you also have to consider, I think, okay, upfront or ongoing, the, as I said, the, uh, when I did Tang Sudo, the, you know, at the Oshkosh Karate Club, it was, you know, you paid us a, a certain amount upfront at the start of the year, but it covered you know, all your classes for the entire year, the uniform mm -hmm. and membership in the, and it was like the American Tang Sudo Institute. Right. So, and, and I know we're going to get into this later when we talk about in our next episode, but I know, I don't know how, but do you usually get nervous if you have to do upfront costs or do you, do you usually prefer like the ongoing, like month to month to month? Um, I would have, Again, this has changed over time. Um, when I was probably in my mid-20s and below, I would have said up front, depending on the art. But um, now it would just be month to month because, like I said, I'd have to get to know the instructor very well, and I don't want to pay. A lot of them make you sign contracts, so if you pay that much up front, you know, and you end up finding that, you know, there's a personality conflict or their teaching style doesn't match your learning style, you're out of that money. Yeah. So I would just stick with a month to month unless I really know, you know, the instructor very well, then I'd be willing to fork out more. Class size. Uh, and again, I think this is one of those things where it kind of depends on the individual. Personally, mm -hmm. I don't, I mean, I've, I've been in play, like when I did karate, uh, the, you know, usually those had larger class sizes. Kung Fu and Eskrima, when I studied that, it kind of fluctuated, but it was usually pretty small. And the Kung, the place I do Kung Nu at, again, is also fairly small. So honestly, I think there's strengths and there's advantages and disadvantages to each. But what about for you? And when, when you, 
if you were to choose a school, is class size really a deal breaker for you or is it not, not anything that you really mind? That would depend on the style, but it's not something I really mind. Um, it just ended up that outside of Taekwondo, every place that I've gone to has been very small. I mean, you're not going to have a lot of people interested in boxing anyway, so there was never more than 15 or 20 men. It was only men at the time, men training at the gym. So, and when I did jujitsu or MMA styles, that was when it was just becoming popular. So there wasn't a lot of people training that either. So that those classes would have been probably less than 10 people every time. Yeah. And it's just a little side point. Um, it's also interesting how sometimes martial arts and pop culture, how that can also impact what happens at a school. I used to be on a right. martial arts discussion list and you've probably heard of Krav Maga. Mm -hmm. Well, there, Jennifer Lopez, uh, she did that movie enough which featured Krav Maga in it. Right. And I remember one of the guys on that list who did Krav Maga was saying that it almost had a negative effect on his school because when he first started and when no one really knew what the heck Krav Maga was, you know, it was smaller. Usually the classes were, you know, they were more reasonably priced and, you know, usually it was a more serious group of students. Right. However, once that movie got big and everyone all of a sudden it's like, well, you know, if uh, if it's featured in this movie, then it must be a good art. And then all of a sudden class sizes got bigger, the tuition went up, and you were starting to, the way he felt, it's like it felt like it was attracting the wrong type of people. I was going to so, say you could, I'm sure a different kind of milieu came in after a movie like that would come out. You know, the, for lack of a better word, leggings crowd, kind of like a yoga schools, you know, you get people who were interested and then when yoga blew up and became popular then you got a way different group of people taking it than you did before i don't think there's a lot of places where this necessarily comes into play i mean as when i was doing my research for this about okay how many different schools are in the area i said there were three mm -hmm. places i saw where they offered multiple classes so that's another factor to consider does the school offer classes with multiple styles so what are your right. thoughts on that I'm all, I've always been a fan, big fan of multiple styles. If not, if you're not having an integrated style, multiple styles that have, you know, integrated techniques. Like if you had a school that taught karate and judo, you know, that kind of takes care of the stand-up and the ground fighting and grappling. But, um, you know, like, for instance, there's a school in town that teaches taekwondo and hapkido. Hapkido had a lot of the grappling that um, taekwondo, of course, isn't going to have, so... In that, those cases, I like multiple styles, you know, if it's not a art that features both. So, yeah, I'm a big fan. Yeah, and, and I think it's good for both the business aspect and for the students aspect because, you know, the uh, the instructor, you know, of course, they could offer, you know, let's say, well, you mentioned there's a place that does karate and, and uh, hapkido. You know, they from a business standpoint, they could always say, well, if you sign up for karate and hapkido, you know, will give you a little bit of a discount. But right. um, again, just my whole martial philosophy about how I think it's good to be diverse. I think it is good if a school does offer those multiple styles, um, especially if, like I said, it is something like they teach classes in both karate and jujitsu. Because that way you get a chance right. to learn both, you know, your stand-up as well as your, your grappling. Exactly. 
Well, another thing that I think can be important is the head instructor's background and qualifications. Because I think part of the problem with this is not every place has has regulations or guidelines about who qualifies to be a martial arts instructor. You know, in theory, you or I could, you know, take all we learned and form our own style and start teaching it. Right. But you're not always, you know, sometimes you don't always have a way to be sure if this person who is claiming to be, you know, a, a 27th degree black belt in judo, you know, or, you know, a, a 17th degree green belt in Ju Brazilian jiu-jitsu, you don't always have a way to know are they being legit or not. Right. And I'm pretty sure there's no such thing as a 27th degree uh, <laughs> black belt in anything. Right. But I, if I ever make my own style, that'll be the highest. Uh, 27th level. Right. No, but, <laughs> so, no, seriously, though. And that's something that I think it can be kind of a delicate subject to approach. Now, mm -hmm. again, just to go back to Kung Nu, one of the nice things about Kung Nu is it is part of an overline organization. They used to call it Kung Nu Oriental Martial Arts, but then they dropped the Oriental. So I think now they just mm -hmm. call the organization Kung Nu Martial Arts. But right. one of the nice things about that, since it does have that, you know, that overseen organization, uh, like I said, if I, you know, you do find someone, let's say you find someone down in, you know, your neck of the woods that, you know, says that they teach Kung Nu, you can go to their website and you can, you know, look that person up. Um, mm -hmm. And again, the, uh, they also will list on there the different, you know, different Kung Nu schools. So that can make right. it easier if like, let's say you decide you want to study Kung Nu, you can go to their site and say, okay, I, are there any of these schools near me? Now, I right. think another nice thing about that is, well, let's say somewhere down the line, I move out to California, you know, or somewhere on the West Coast. Again, I can go to their, well, let's use California because I know there are several schools out there. I can go to the Kung Nu website and I can check, okay, are any of these schools there near me? But let's say I meet some guy named, I don't know, Fred Jones, and he claims to be a seventh degree black belt in Kung Nu. Another nice thing about the fact that it is part of this, you know, this overseen organization, I can check with them, okay, Fred Jones out in California, is he really a seventh degree black belt in Kong Nu, or should I be suspicious of his background? Right. You have those in jujitsu and in um, just about any art, but um, I, I think it's a smaller, less known, which makes me appreciate Kong Nu even more, um, even though I'm not a student. Some of the little smaller, lesser-known martial arts, that's a bit more problematic. Like with jiu-jitsu, it's still such a new martial art that you can, you know, you always know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody. So if they're not legit, you know, you can all, it's easy to check, you know, and, and it pretty much takes care of itself. But um, some of the little-known martial arts or sometimes someone can make something up, you know, teaching out of books or videos or something, and you don't always have a way to backtrack and know what you're getting yeah and again i just think it's kind of a delicate topic because looking back i really kind of wish sometimes when i was at that commercial school that taught american freestyle karate that i did mm -hmm. ask about uh the instructor's qualifications and where he learned from because since like right. i said it was part of commercial school and i think they have other branches in other states 
Right. And I said, just American freestyle karate on its own is really kind of a mishmash. Right. Best definition I have for it is it's usually Taekwondo paired with whatever else the instructor happens to know. Wow. So in my case, like you said, we, I think the base for it was Taekwondo, but there was some scream on some jujitsu in there as well. Right. And I think you should worry about any instructor who's not forthcoming with those things without even you having to ask. You know, I think, you know, carp, it's one of those bio we wear kind of situations, but I would be weary of anyone who doesn't, who's kind of sketchy about telling me those things up front. Yeah. And now that we've talked a little bit about this before, uh, earlier in this episode, but I think another thing that can certainly impact whether you'd want to study at a school are the other students. Now, honestly, I think it's a little easier to, I, I think it's actually usually the larger the school, I think the the less this is a, a, a determining factor. Um, mm-hmm. So what what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I think we both can agree that the other students can certainly impact whether you want to study at a school or not. Right. I'm kind of at a place where, well, even when I was younger, which I should have listened to myself, but I kind of, you get a feel for the room, you know, how they interact with each other or, um, you know, if they form cliques. The Taekwondo school that I went to had a lot of cliques in it and caused a lot of internal drama that, you know, I don't think you need, especially when you're paying good money to, you know, to get get instruction. So uh, my thing was always be to feel the room and see how they're, everyone's interacting with each other. You know, the kind of, is there a pack mentality? Is there someone keep, that keeps trying to be the dominant person, student in, in the group? You know, those are the kind of environments I personally try to avoid. Yeah, because, I mean, I think when you do have larger classes, you know, yeah, you might have a few people in the in the school that are kind of clicky, but I think most of the people might be okay. With smaller schools, it can go either way. Now, mm-hmm. like I said that's not a problem when I'm doing Kung Nu now, but uh, one of the things that, well, after my Kung Fu instructor left town, uh, one of his more experienced students started trying to form a school. And I studied there for a little bit, but there was a real problem with clicks there because there wasn't a lot of people, at least for the time I was there. Uh, there was the instructor, and then there were see, one, two. Uh, there were four other people who usually showed up as, aside from me, and then mm-hmm. sometimes uh, the instructor's brother would show up, and then there was another guy there that would show up occasionally. Well, the four main people who showed up, they were part of the instructor's Dungeons and Dragons, you know, role-playing game group, and they were all his friends and stuff. So it it was a very clicky situation where I never felt like I was really part of the class. And this is one of the things that really kind of irked me about that situation is the instructor had his assistant instructor. Well, I was higher ranked than his assistant but he wouldn't show me any new material unless he was also showing it to his assistant instructor. So wow. that really, yeah, that really kind of killed it. But what really did it for me, he, there were times where I would show up 10 minutes before class was scheduled to start. I would wait around until class should have started a half hour ago when he never showed up. And most of the time I was the only one there. So obviously wow. he, was, he was telling his other students who were his friends that, okay, I'm not doing class tonight, 
Now, to be fair to him, this was like 99, 2000. So this was before I had a cell phone and before cell phones became really common. You know, because right. at that time, cell phones were still pretty, you know, they were a bit more expensive than they are now. Right. But that's one thing that really turned me off. And that's something I would certainly, uh, you know, advise if you do have an instructor that is constantly either late for class or missing class and not telling you about it, that would be a definite red flag in my opinion. Exactly. Hugely, huge red flag. Yeah. And that's once in in my current school where I'm at, you know, if my, you know, my instructor, if she's going to be out of town or she's not going to be able to make it, she always has her assistant instructor go. So like I said, at least, you know, and well, plus also, you know, cell phones or texts. So that's always nice too. Right. But like I said, to be fair, it was in that this was before cell phones became more common, but the fact that it was usually just me sitting out there looking like an idiot uh, made me kind of realize, okay, you're obviously telling everyone else that class is canceled, but you're not telling me. <laughs> right. So another thing, then the last point I would make when trying to decide on when you're choosing a school is either word of mouth or reviews. And this can be kind of a double-edged sword. So what are your opinions on you know, word of mouth or internet reviews on schools? I don't know, because I always get almost as much from the negative reviews as I do the positive, because you can tell when a person either has an axe to grind or they actually know what they're talking about, you know, because I do other forms of homework before I read the reviews even, so I'm prepared for what they're going to say. But sometimes we'll read the negative reviews for just for the fun of it, but I digress. But uh, word of mouth, sometimes, you know, I, I don't know a lot of people, you know, I've got very few friends, you, you and a couple other people. So I normally wouldn't hear anything word of mouth anyway. So, you know, the the arts that I pursue, at least, are so, there's so few people doing them that, you know, it's easy to get, track down someone's, how good they are, you know, what what the attitude of the school is, just by, you know, seeing where they came from. So, yeah. you know, word of mouth isn't going to do me a lot of good, but I, and I, I don't know if I trust it for, if it's somebody you trust, yeah, then I could say word of mouth is okay. But if it's someone who you don't, whose opinion is kind of sketchy anyway, then that's not probably the best way to get your info. Yeah. And you know, that's, uh, and again, I, I agree that the word of mouth can certainly be helpful in reading the reviews but what's nice is if you read the reviews before you go to the school, especially if they mm-hmm. have that free trial, mm-hmm. that that gives you a chance to kind of correlate what's being said at that negative review and, you know, what, what you're witnessing. Now, let's say right. some review says, okay, uh, sensei so-and-so couldn't punch his way out of a paper bag. Now, that way, well, you can go to your free trial classes and see, okay, does this instructor really look like he doesn't know how to punch his way out of a paper bag? Right. Yeah, those are, I I think they can be helpful, but I think, as they say, trust but verify. So, you know, just because some, and also I think you need to keep the date in mind as well. uh, Because, you know, the people can change. I mean, let's say there is a negative review about someone, but it's from 10 years ago. And then maybe there's a couple other reviews that came after that or that are more recent, but they're more positive. Well, then that would give me more hope that, okay, maybe that person 
just was there at a bad time and it's it's gotten mm-hmm. better since then but right and you know as we mentioned before you know colleges often have martial arts clubs so that's something you can check but the only problem with college clubs even if they are open to non-students is they don't always last very long uh, right. because unfortunately people who go to college have a tendency to eventually graduate Right. I, I mean, I would have loved it if I could stay in college forever, but that that tends to cost more money than than uh, actually make that money. But I digress. Right. No, I, I know what you're saying, because UWO had a grappling club and um, that's for the first few months of my jujitsu training. That's what I where I went. So um, to do the research for this show, I looked it up and apparently I don't know if it was the same people who were running the club the last time I went, but it was totally defunct by by now. Yeah, and the uh, Oshkosh Karate Club at UWO is still going, so you know that's good mm-hmm. to hear. But mm-hmm. like for example, the uh, my instructor taught who taught me a screamo while I was there. Well, mm-hmm. he's long since graduated from you know UW Oshkosh, so uh, you know I've, you're probably not going to find anyone on that campus teaching you know a screamo anymore. <laughs> right, and that's too bad because uh, the. It, waters down the diversity i mean uh it was neat to have a screamer you know in places that you wouldn't expect to find it like wisconsin yeah (laughs) so any final thoughts before we end the show today just that uh get to know you know get to know who you're who's teaching you really well because um and don't fork over money right away i did that with taekwondo lived to regret it instructor ended up you know i quit you know, it, it took me, it didn't take me a long time before I realized that I didn't belong there. But there was some kids he actually made, they had to go to therapy after having him as an, as an instructor. So. Mm. Was, now, was that in Wisconsin or was this back mm-hmm. when you, okay. Wow. <laughs> having, having your martial arts instructor send you to therapy, that can't be good. Right. Well, one of the takeaways you should have from this uh, episode is that not all martial arts schools are necessarily good and not they're definitely not all the same but what about when you've got some schools that maybe uh you should really seriously consider avoiding and we're going to be talking about those types of schools next episode but for now like to thank you all for tuning in and hope you found this information informative educational and entertaining and uh you know we really got to think of a way to like a catchy way to end the show because, like, you know, right. usually we're just kind of like, you know, peace out. And it's like, I don't know, uh, keep your kicks above the belt and below the head. <laughs> I like that. I like that, man. So here's here's Alan Marcus reminding you again to keep your kicks above the belt and below the head. So. <laughs> oh, well, thanks for tuning. Thanks for listening, everyone. And have a great day. Peace. You have been listening to a program from the Point of Insanity Network. Visit us at poigamestudio.podbean.com for more shows. Follow us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at POI Game Studio.